Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. I'd like to talk to you this morning about the Garden of Gethsemane. And for those of you who have been coming on a regular basis, you know we're working our way through the book of John. But uh, 90% of what the book of John has is unique to John. And uh, the section I want to talk about this morning is not found in John. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so I've chosen Matthew's account of the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, particularly the the part where Jesus prayed uh, for our message this morning. Matthew chapter 26, we'd like to look at verse number 30. Uh, Jesus has uh, instituted what we call uh, communion, uh, the Last Supper. And after that, in verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This was uh, a very familiar place for them. They oftentimes retreated there. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. And then he quotes an Old Testament passage. I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And after that I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. And that's a prophecy that he's giving right there. Uh, We call that a a near prophecy, not one of those faraway ones, like in Isaiah about the birth of Christ some 700 years before the Lord. This is a prophecy right around the corner. Uh, But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. You know the old statement, never say never? Every time we make a statement like that, I'm never going to do that. What happens? We end up doing it. Well, Peter, I wish that he could have taken this statement back. He says, Listen, if all are made to stumble because of you, I'll never be made to stumble Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Again, another near prophecy. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, uh, I will not deny you. He just wouldn't give up this idea. And and so said all the disciples. They all joined in and they said, Hey, listen, we're going to stick with you through thick or thin. And Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane, and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and, he, and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed, and said to them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Jesus never got so close to death as he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Stay here and watch with me or pray. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, there's a statement to underline in your Bible right there. Not as I will, but as you will. Uh, You know, whenever you read a passage of Scripture, isn't there a verse that kind of like jumps out at you? It starts to blink almost in neon, a sign. That's it right there. Not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Uh, And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying these the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whoever I kiss is the one, seize him. And immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greeting, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword. I know that you can guess who this one was. And struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And I always say this, he wasn't aiming for his ear. He was just a bad aim, that's all. Uh, He cut off his ear, but Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen this way? The Garden of Gethsemane, especially the prayer of Jesus, is very interesting. As we were working through the book of John, remember we did... John chapter 17, that's the prayer of Jesus last week. Remember, he prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for the converts that his disciples would win to him in John 17. Now, what we want to do is slip this in right here uh, between John 17 and John 18. And um, the word Gethsemane means oil press. If you were to go to Israel today and uh, take the tour, this would be one of the highlights of your tour right here. They'll bring you to this particular place and show you these ancient trees. And and they will say that these trees were alive when Jesus was here. I think almost everything over there was the way Jesus left it, the day left, according to the tour guides. Uh, We don't know how old these trees were, but they're very, very old. They are olive trees. And back in that particular day, we believed that this place was a place where they brought the olives and they put them in the press and they would squeeze them to get this olive oil out of the olives. Uh, And so now uh, Jesus would come here and he would be crushed in this place that previously was the place of crushing of olives. John 18, 2 says, says, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place where Jesus often met there with his disciples. Uh, Jesus, or Judas knew that this would be the best place uh, to concoct a, um, a, a, uh, a capture of Jesus. Uh, he did it at night because night was the time that uh, the populace was sleeping and there would be no, uh, no riot. And so he had it well planned. As we were beginning our our, uh, reading this morning, remember I said to you that Jesus is prophesying here uh, on the way to the garden. His first prophecy is this, all the disciples will desert me. And if you look over to chapter 
or the same chapter, verse 56, you'll find they all did. They all went their way whenever Jesus was arrested. Then he made another prophecy and he says, not only will all of them uh, desert me, but one of them will deny me in a specific way. You know, Peter thought that he was stronger than the other others and, and, uh, and so he spoke up. Uh, Peter rebuked him before, remember, in verse number 22 of Matthew 26. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And so Jesus makes these prophecies that almost immediately uh, come true. And uh, then we enter into the time of Jesus' prayer. He comes here and he tells his group of disciples, eight of them, to sit down and rest. And then what he does is he takes the inner circle with him to the next leg of the journey, inward into the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, James, and John, we call them the inner circle. Uh, he has taken them before to places that he has not taken other people others too. Uh, remember, uh, he took uh, Peter, James, and John up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. And then he took them to the home of Jairus when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And now here, he takes them again just a little farther, his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Um, Jesus was not afraid to die. Whenever you come to this passage of Scripture, do not feel that uh, Jesus was sorrowful and even unto death. He wasn't afraid of death. Uh, he was afraid of the implications of what this death would cause. And so he gets them together in verse number 37, if you'll look there. And he took with them and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch. What that means is I want you to stay at this particular place and I want you to pray for me and pray for yourself as well. Uh, the word uh, stay, of course, means to continue. You just, you, this is your spot. You stay right here. And then it also means to endure. This is your place to endure. You know, all of us have places that the Lord wants us to continue in and places to endure. Uh, Jesus was going to another place, but they had their assigned place. And the place that he was going to was even unto death. Uh, Jesus here was getting as close as he could to the threshold of death without dying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he begins to pray. And, and I want you to notice in verse 39 with me. And he went a little farther and he fell on his face. Now that, that's kind of interesting to me. He fell on his face. Uh, wow. Um, that position sends a message to me. There probably was no more strength left in him. You know, whenever uh, you think about this, uh, that is a most humble way to pray. Um, I, how many times have you fallen on your face before the Lord? I dare say if you live a normal lifespan, you will probably find yourself in that place a number of times. Uh, this is the place that I feel most at home praying anymore. Just prostrate right before the Lord. 
There's something special about that. But I think in this particular case that uh, Jesus was so overcome by the pain and the trauma that he did collapse and fall down on his face. Now, he had had uh, other opportunities to circumvent this particular time of sorrow in his life, but his mind was fixed on the cross. Remember, Satan came to him in Matthew chapter 4 and said, Listen, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you'll just fall down and worship me. Uh, why don't you forget your mission? And uh, look at what you could have if you forget your mission. Well, Jesus kept on mission. And uh, now this spiritual horror waited for him. And it, what was it? It was the cross. Jesus would stand in the place of guilty sinners and receive all the spiritual punishment sinners deserved. Uh, he who knew no sin would be sin for us. Uh, this He would satisfy God's um, wrath and God's anger upon sin. And so if you fast forward this just a little bit, turn over with me to Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what is driven Jesus to prayer and to sorrow and to the precipice of death right here. Because when he died on the cross, he, this cry came from his lips, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 2 Corinthians 5.21 is, um, is a good verse, and I've, showed it, I've shown it to you a number of times recently. But let's look at it again this morning, okay? Let's read it together. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, this is what traumatized, if I may be so bold to say, uh, the mind of Jesus at this particular time. Uh, he couldn't bear the thought of his sinless person in contact with the sin of the world. Now, this is a mystery, and we don't understand all of these things, but we have a little inkling of what Jesus here is going through. Look at verse 39. And he went a little farther, and he fell on his face, praying, oh my, oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup, this was the cup of judgment that he referred to. Let this cup pass from me. This cup was a symbol of divine wrath against sin. Now, since Jesus drank the cup of judgment at the cross, we know that it's not possible for salvation to come any other way. Salvation by the work of of Jesus at the cross is the only possible way for you and I to be saved. If there was any other way, uh, then Jesus uh, died an unnecessary death. This cup, though, was God's will. And what did it do? It satisfied his justice and exhausted his wrath against the believer. Uh, I always, whenever I think of the justice of God, I always go in my mind's eye to Exodus 34, 7, where the Lord says, I will not let the guilty go unpunished. I will not let the guilty go unpunished. Uh, somebody has to die for sin. And so uh, Jesus said, listen, I will take the hit for you. Uh, 
He purchased the believers from slavery to sin and the sentence of eternal death. You know, we use the word redemption to uh, explain this. That means a payment. Uh, Jesus stepped forward and he paid your debt that you owe to God. This is why we are eternally grateful to the Lord. Amen? I mean, you and I stood helpless and hopeless before the cross, unable to do anything about our soul salvation. And here comes Jesus and says, listen, relax, I will take it for you. And so uh, he did. Uh, he took our punishment. And uh, God's anger was poured out upon Christ upon the cross. And uh, every, it's all of the surroundings uh, knew exactly what was happening. The sun refused to shine, if you remember. The rocks cried out. And the centurion said, truly, this is the Son of God. And so Jesus took this cup, which symbolizes the wrath of God, and he drank it to its full. He became, as it were, an enemy of God, and he was judged and forced to drink the cup of the Father's fury so that you and I would not have to drink this. This is the source of Jesus' agony. This is why Jesus collapsed in prayer to his Father. We have a little commentary on this in Hebrews chapter 5 or 7. Do we, do we have that verse? We don't. Uh, it goes like this. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who would deliver him out of death. And God heard his prayers because of his reverence for God. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 22 verse 44 uh, explains this further. It says this, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Uh, then, his, then his sweat become, became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Uh, some of you have a good Bible and, uh, that you've read, read in. And, and the commentators tell us that there is a condition and it's called hematidrosis. And what it is, it is the effusion of blood in one's perspiration. And, uh, and so this is a medical term. When Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, when he began to perspire, uh, I don't know exactly the extent of what his perspiration looked like, but for sure, part of it looked like blood. And so he was praying in agony. When he came back uh, after he was praying the first time, he found that his prayers were asleep. Uh, now, remember, they vowed to go to death with him. Uh, and he said, listen, could you not watch with me just, what, one hour? Uh, I believe that one of the great goals uh, that you could set as a Christian is to learn to pray an hour a day. Um, God does special things in the lives of people who learn to pray an hour a day. And, you know, since Paul said in Philippians 4, 6, pray about everything, I think you have enough material to pray about if you pray an hour a day. Uh, every now and then I bring out the old story of Becky Terabasi. She was a teenage alcoholic. She uh, came to Christ and she went to a prayer conference. And at the prayer conference, she was so convicted that because she was not a person of prayer that she signed a commitment card. You know, I really believe in commitments, you know. Um, you just sign up and then you figure out how to do it. That's what a commitment is about. 
So she signed a commitment card, and their, and, her, and their commitment was to pray an hour a day the rest of her life. And in her book, she said she went home, and she set the timer on her oven for an hour. And she said, okay, Lord, here we go. I don't know what to do. This is all new to me. Diane Mussey, our secretary here at the church, called her office. I don't know whether it's in Colorado or California a number of months ago. Because, you know, when you write something in a book, people check up on you. And so Diane called her secretary and said, how's Becky coming on her commitment to pray an hour a day? And the secretary said, oh, she's doing good. She's prayed 22 and a half years an hour a day. She's doing good. And she has this gigantic ministry teaching people how to pray all around the world. God does special things through people. And Jesus said, couldn't you watch and pray with me for one hour? Now, I have to believe that uh, the reason why they failed, uh, they scattered, they deserted him and they denied him is because they didn't pray. Remember when the disciples were sent out and they were given power by the Lord to cast out demons and heal the sick, they came back and they were inept, they were unable. And Jesus said that kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now these disciples of our Lord, Peter, James, and John, they had good intentions, but good intentions without prayer are only good intentions. You know, you cannot live the Christian life on good intentions. Can I have an amen about that? I mean, it just doesn't work. You can't come to church and say, oh, well, listen, I'm going to get it together one of these days and never get it together. That won't work. We have to get it together. In order for the Christian life to make sense to you, you have to, you have to get serious about it and make some commitments to it and then try to figure out how to keep, keep your commitment. And so uh, I find that uh, Jesus knew about their weakness. He said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, he knew what humanity felt like. Another thing we see here is the fact that prayer loves privacy. Verse number 42, look at it. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. He retreats to prayer again. And so he's praying and he does this uh, several times. And, and so... Uh, they came at night. This event would have never worked during the day. It would have caused a riot. Isaiah 53.10 says this, But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. Now listen. Listen to this. This is a New Living Translation right here. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane was where the olives were crushed? It was the Lord's plan to crush him and Fill him with grief. That's exactly what happened right here. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have a multitude of children, many heirs, and he will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's plan will prosper in his hands. And so this plan is coming together. Divine determination and human wickedness collide right here in Gethsemane. And it's interesting, Jesus is praying, his disciples are sleeping. Uh, let that not be a mark in our life. Uh, we need to stay awake. 
A life is, uh, is tough. And if we fall asleep, bad things are going to happen. We have to stay awake. We have to stay on guard uh, for our church, for our family, for our work for Christ. It, it requires that we stay awake. And so, and so this whole story is, is playing itself out here. Look with me to verse 45. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, here we find that Jesus takes the initiative. Verse 46. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He advances rather than retreats. Now, this is so interesting to me. So here Jesus comes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He stumbles, if, if we can say that, uh, into the Garden of Gethsemane. He falls on his face before God. He is completely almost at the precipice of death. And he calls out to God. Now he has prayed. He has been strengthened. He has been strengthened for the path before him. It comes together, and now he exits the Garden of Gethsemane quite different than he entered. He has a strength, he has determination from his heavenly Father. Um, he uh, meets his uh, opponent, and he calls him friend. It's been suggested that maybe Judas was trying to orchestrate this event to make Jesus present himself as a conquering king and needed something dramatic like this in order to push him into it. Um, I do know one thing, that whenever Judas went out to make the deal with the devil and his cohorts, the chief priest, uh, from that point in time, a clock started to tick. And probably there was about 33 prophecies that came to pass in the next 24 hours during this day, the day of crucifixion. The Old Testament prophecies, one right after the other, just kept filling in, in, falling into place, just like that. So Peter decides, though, he's going to save the day again. He has a sword. He's going to take on a small army with a sword. And uh, he tries it and the Lord rebukes him. The Lord's power is greater than a sword. He said he could call legions of angels to, um, to deliver him from this hour. Uh, and, uh, but it was this, for this hour he came. This was to be the climactic experience of the life of Christ on earth. He would go to Calvary for every single person in this room this morning. Uh, he paid the price that you owed to God. He would not be deterred. Now, there are a number of lessons that we draw from this whole story. First of all, we have to stay awake and pray to survive temptation. The temptation that Satan hurls at us. Um, you know, this world is a world of temptation. It's everywhere, isn't it? it it's just everywhere. Uh, at every corner, we are... We are tempted to cut corners. We are tempted to cut it too close for comfort. We are tempted to break the rules. We are tempted to 
stretch the grace of God uh, to the breaking point. And so we need to stay awake and pray to survive the temptation that Satan is throwing at you. I believe that every Christian is a target of the devil. I am absolutely convinced of this. Well, Jesus said, listen, I want you to pray and uh, lest you fall into temptation. Uh, I think another lesson that we learn from this is this, is we all have our own Gethsemane. Uh, somewhere, sometime, someplace, life gets completely too hard for us. Uh, we're going to all be broken and crushed somewhere along the line. And uh, we, uh, we're going to come to that place that we can't stand up and we're going to fall down and cry out to God. Remember Jacob, uh, he wrestled with God all night one night and he was so afraid. But after his time alone with God, he was infused with strength to face his fears. Another thing we learn from this is our friends will sleep when we need them most. You know, we expect too much out of people, you know, that way, way too much. Uh, don't be very hard on your friends when they're not there for you, when you need them. Jesus wasn't very hard here on his disciples when, they, when he needed them. Uh, but here's the victory. Jesus was strengthened supernaturally. The Bible says an angel came and ministered to him. When he went into the garden, he staggered and fell. But now he has a new resolve. He said, let's go. Let's go. I'm ready now. Um, he asked God to... Um, he, he got his human will in alignment with God's perfect will. And he was ready to make this sacrifice. Uh, you know, God uh, sometimes uh, answers our prayer and lifts our burden, but always he gives us strength to face the issue. Jesus was strengthened with a new resolve after he prayed to his heavenly Father. And this is an example for you and me. How much more weak are we than he? How much more do we need the strength of God than he did in this particular hour? Isaiah 40:31 says this, They who wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They who wait upon the Lord, Jesus said, Why couldn't you wait one hour with me? This is the way it works. And so Jesus got up uh, from that position of prayer and, and in effect said, Your will be done. And, you know, that is the best statement that any of us could ever make. You know that? That God's will will be done in our life no matter how tough it is because the result is worth whatever pain you and I have to pay uh, to walk with Christ in this world. It really is. Uh, I know that in our church, as the weeks roll by, our people are facing all sorts of crushing experiences. Some of them are, I cannot even come alongside of you and say, I understand. Only somebody who has walked in your shoes can say that. Uh, but uh, I do know one thing, that if we come to the Lord like, Jesus did here in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
God is going to infuse us with his strength that we can weather the storm and come out on the victory side. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, uh, I'd like for you to think about uh, these points for this morning. We have to stay awake and pray to survive temptation. It's all around you, temptation to, to break up the home, temptation to do things you, you know are wrong, temptations to break the rules. I mean, it's just everywhere. I think, though, if we stay awake and pray... Uh, that God will give us the strength to face those temptations and come out on the winning side. And then whenever those experiences in our life come that are so withering to us, so weighty in our life that we just don't have any strength to remain strong, uh, to remain upright, when we fall down before the Lord, the Lord will come and minister to us and give us a new breath, a new energy to go out and drink the cup uh, that God has designed for us to drink. And the glory of it all is to just to know that you're doing the will of God. Uh, to know that, yeah, things are maybe going in the wrong direction uh, from the world standpoint, but, uh, but you're in the will of God and you can look yourself in the mirror and say, listen, everything is okay with me. I'm right with God. Dear Lord, I just pray now that you will help us respond to this story of uh, Jesus in the garden. Lord, take these points and drive them into our heart. Help us to be stronger Christians. Help us, Lord, not to have the Lord come at us and say, Could you not watch with me one hour? Uh, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to apply these thoughts to our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.